So God, our Father in heaven, now quiet our hearts to hear your word in uh, the speed of the week, even in um, the motion of the morning. Set us apart now to hear your word and uh, change our hearts, I pray. Uh, please. Make us uh, men and women of courage to um, speak the truth, to hear the truth, to live the truth, and to be not just people of the truth, but gracious truth, redeeming truth, forgiving, because you've been that with us. Thank you. For all the wonderful work in our lives, Lord, we, we tell you again, thank you. And now we ask you to help us as particularly as we open your word. May we hear it with fresh ears today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, I'm in Joshua chapter 1. We began this series last week. Joshua chapter 1, sixth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then Joshua. Joshua chapter 1. Last week began the series, we call the series Courageous. That word courage appears in the English Bible more times in the book of Joshua than anywhere else in the Bible. And the call to Joshua and to every generation, including us, is that call to courage, is to stand well with a kind of integrity, a kind of spirit that says we can get this done by God's grace. It's to not be afraid of the challenges that, bring, that they are brought into our lives. And when we rely upon God, lean heavily into him, his strength, we find, is perfect to help us stand. Now, what we find is this. We learned this last week. The challenge for Joshua was to live a courageous life. And today I want to talk with you now about standing in a courageous life, but standing for the right thing. Because you could stand and stand for something that doesn't really matter. You could give your life fully to something, be courageously devoted to it. And in the long run, it really doesn't matter. So you don't want to waste your life and stand for the things that don't matter. What you want to do is build the character in your life to be courageous, not just for courageous sake, but to be courageous about the right things. So the question comes, how do you know what the right things are? How do you know what's worth standing for and what you should let go of? And Joshua is going to tell us, actually God's going to tell Joshua, and Joshua will tell the people, and it's reserved for us. It's when you have a life that's based upon the word of God. Now, you remember in our story, Joshua uh, has taken a 40-year-long journey to get to the promised land. A whole generation of people have died off. Now the leader, Moses, has died. Joshua's in charge. He's going to cross the Jordan River, which itself is a miracle. He's going to take tens of thousands of people across this, this river. They're going to go into the land that God has promised. That land we now call Israel today. You would call it the Holy Land or Canaan. They call it the promised land. This is the land God promised them. They're going to march into that land, and, and God tells them, you be strong, you be courageous. And when Joshua goes into the land, the Lord speaks to him. Joshua chapter 1, we'll pick it up at verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. These are the words of the Lord. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. 
Meditate on it day and night so that you'll be careful to do everything written in it. And then you'll be prosperous and successful. What's the measure of prosperity and success? That you do what the word says. That's success. Verse 9 now. Have I not commanded you? He's repeating it again. Have I not commanded you? You be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. They're about to go into this promised land. First they have to get across the river. He says you have to be strong and courageous. And he says when you are that, you'll be successful. And he gives really to Joshua and to God's people five aspects of what it means to be successful. Number one is to obey all the law. Obey all the law, verse 7. By law, Joshua's referring to the Old Testament that they had at the time. Remember this, the whole Bible's not complete. They don't have the whole Bible yet. They don't know about Jesus coming, the Holy Spirit coming. They don't know who the Apostle Paul is, Peter, James, and John. They have no idea. All they have is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The book of Job is out there. It's historically written. But he refers to the book of the law, the books that Moses wrote as the Pentateuch, the first five books. They know that. And he says, obey the law that you have. And since they, since they have that portion of God's word, you attend yourself to that. Understand it, observe it, get familiar with it. Read it so much that you know where it is. You ever read something so much that you know where it is on the page? You ever had that? I've had favorite Bibles in my life. I don't want to get a new Bible. Why? Because I know where favorite verses are, not just in the Bible, but on the page, on the location. He says, know the word so well that you're obeying it, understanding it, observing it, get familiar with it, so you heed it, so you think on it, but that's not all. Number two, he says, not only is it good for you to obey all the law, but number two, don't turn to the left, don't turn to the right on this thing. Don't get off track from the word. In other words, the word is here. Don't go to one side, don't go to the other. Don't make it say what it's not saying. Don't get off track of what the word is saying. You keep your life on this track. Don't take rabbit trails. Don't get chased. Don't get pushed. And you know, the evil one would love to do that. To get you off track and off your game. To get you so distracted. Have you ever seen professional athletes when they get ready to go into the game? It happens with the Olympics all the time. But a lot of times the professional athletes, they fly into town. They put them on a separate plane. Why? Because they don't want them interacting with anybody. They get them on a bus. They go to the stadium. When they go to the stadium, have you ever notice it? A lot of them have headphones and then they have like muffle phones over their music phones then they have shades on and then a hat why is that because they're going into enemy territory if you're denver and you're going into green bay you don't want to hear how much green bay hates you right you just want to get into the stadium play the game and get out of town so you 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 muffle all the distractions athletes do that all the time put in the earbuds and don't hear a word and that's what he's saying you stay on the track and don't let anybody get you off of the track, not to the right or to the left. And in doing that, you don't stray from the word, but just as importantly, as you do not say what the word is not saying. Because the word is here, don't say that or that. Don't get off track and don't make the word say what it's not saying. You be a student of the word. Now today we have the whole Bible. We have the completed word, which is even a greater responsibility, a huge uh, benefit, but also with that benefit comes a huge responsibility. We have the full story of God and the full story of his history. Therefore, we ought to be the people of all people who give ourselves 
our best effort, study to show ourselves approved of God. Why? Because we are workmen in the, in the Bible. We are workmen who does not need to be ashamed. Why? Because we rightly defend and, and determine what the scriptures say. We correctly handle the word of truth. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Now, when you're going down the path of the word of God and you go to the right or to the left, you're just saying what you want to say. Or you're going to the scriptures to get the point you want to get. That isn't getting it to be conformed to the word. You're getting what you want to get so you can prove your point. Now, let me illustrate that for you because I may get past you. But It's like the guy who says to me, God told me. When everybody says that, I, I start to shiver. Like, oh no, here we go. God told me, uh, my wife and I are going to have a baby and it's going to be a boy. And then he quotes a verse. Something from Genesis. Well, number one, God did not tell you. And if God told you, did God tell your wife that? And by the way, the verse you quoted, that was God speaking, you will have a baby boy. But that was, he was speaking to Abraham, not to you. Oh, and by the way, Abraham didn't have that baby till he was 100. <laughs> Good luck with that. And <laughs> I wouldn't tell your wife either because she's not going to be a spring chicken either when she has that baby. Do you really want what God says in Genesis when God says, I'm going to give you a son, that son's going to be the father of the nation. You're going to have seed that will be like the stars of the sky. It's a wonderful promise. It's called the Abrahamic covenant. The only difference is this. God gave that to Abraham, not to you. Don't use that verse as your way of wishing upon a star that you could have a baby. It's bad use of the text. It's going to the left or to the right. Some people will go right to Leviticus and just pull out a verse because they don't like something in the office or something somebody's doing, something's happening in political action. So they just go to Leviticus, pull out a verse, and, but they don't read the whole context. And so they pick out a verse that they like because it says what they want it to say, and it always starts with dot, 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 and then it gives the little bit that they want but doesn't give the rest of the verse. But my word is this. If you're going to quote Leviticus, then be consistent which means when you go to sell your sister, make sure you get a good price for her when she gets married. Don't settle for anything less than a nice, good cow and two goats that will give you milk. That's in there too, you know. You say, I didn't know that. That's what reading the text will do. And by the way, it also says that when you defile a pot, you can clean it all you want. God will still find it defiled. So you take it out of the city and you smash it and you bash it, you throw it out because it's defiled. Don't even bother cleaning it. Now, there was a procedure in Leviticus 2 for the washing of the utensils and the pots, but if something got defiled, you don't even bother with it, you throw it out. It's our modern version of carry out, right? right? We eat out of the box, throw it out. But in their day, they were using clay pots. Something got defiled, they threw it out. You don't throw out your china today, you usually wash it. The Sabbath. You weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath. There was punishment if you didn't work. And then every seventh Sabbath, there was another offering. That other offering was an offering of, of a grain offering. And some Sabbaths were for fasting. And every seventh year, there was a Sabbath year on the land, which meant you had to work hard for six years, get your profit off of your land, so the seventh year, your land would rest. In other words, you didn't work the seventh year. Nobody's quoting those verses. The one that I really don't like is that, and I need an amen on this, pork, in the, you know, was off limits. 
to Jews, still is to Orthodox Jews, which means if you're going to take a verse out of Leviticus, then take the whole chapter, which means no more ham, no more, you know, no more pork chops, and God help us, no more bacon. Now, if that weren't bad enough, Leviticus goes on to say, you're not even allowed to touch a dead pig. Because it was, a, it was a, a split hoof animal. You weren't allowed to eat that meat, but once that pig died, you weren't even allowed to touch the fur, or the skin, which leads me to tell you, you are not allowed anymore to play football. Think about that for a while. Is that what you want? No. But that's what reading the text will do. I believe all those were very ceremonial. But you know what the bigger picture is? God is saying, I am a holy God. If you get nothing else from Leviticus, understand. God says, I'm a holy God. And even the way you wash your pans and what you do on your day off, I want you to know that I'm a holy God. And that's the bigger theme of Leviticus. It, was, it had to do with planting crops side by side. They didn't allow it. You couldn't blend your fabrics in, in textiles. You couldn't have a poly cotton or a nylon with silk or a poly wool blend. It just didn't happen in the days of Leviticus. That was outlawed. But if you just grab a verse and pull it into your context, that's what you're going to get. One more, and it comes to us from uh, you know, a person who walks up to me and they want the best for their child and they just say, you know, Pastor, what I've done is I've told my children if they lie, if they cheat, if they run from God, they, they shouldn't do that. I said, that's good. And if they do, they're going to be swallowed by a fish. Okay, number one, stop scaring your children. Number two, that only happened once in all of biblical history. It was Jonah. That's not the norm and that's not the threat and that's not the point of Jonah. The point of Jonah is don't run from God. Get in line with what God wants to do. A historical, grammatical, contextual interpretation of the text will help you. You say, well, I don't know how to tell my kids about telling the truth. Ephesians chapter 4, don't lie anymore. Tell the truth. Speak the truth. Be the truth. How, how do I know how to apply that? Well, in the Old Testament, that was prior to Christ. There were different lands, uh, different laws in that land. And there were ceremonial laws. There were kind of civil laws. But there were moral laws too. Those moral laws dealt with like, for instance, the taking of a life. Life is sacred. It was in the Old Testament. It is in the New. It tells you not to murder. Okay? How do I know that? Well, everything, just if you have a Bible, after Jesus died, and was buried and rose again. Those are the four stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There was a transitional book that tells us this historical things that happened. That's the book of Acts. That's the story, the history of the church. So everything from Romans all the way to Jude is all about the church. You can go to the bank on everything from Romans to Jude. I mean, that's for us because we're living in the church age today. And if you've ever wondered, should I do what they do in the Old Testament? If you see it repeated back in that New Testament piece, yeah, then that's moral code. That's good stuff. Just be careful in the way you read the scripture and don't go to the left and make it say what you want it to say and don't go to the right 
and make it say what you think people want to hear or what they need at the moment. No, stay on the path. Obey all the law. Do not turn to the left or to the right. By the way, when you follow the Lord and you live a blessed kind of life, I'm not worried that the Lord will bless you. He will bless you with all spiritual blessings in Jesus Christ. It's the promise of the New Testament. And you may end up with a son or a daughter or two or three. I've, you know, I've been around people who say, I just, we just want the blessing of children. A decade later, we'd like the blessing of no more children. God has blessed us enough. And, and so you, you, when, you, when you read the scriptures, know this. God wants to bless you. He wants to make your way prosperous. It just may not be in the way you think. The Lord expects holiness. That's what we learn from Leviticus. But all of the New Testament speaks of holiness as well. But holiness really of the heart. What was shown in washing of pots, that's what he wants us to do with our hands and our hearts, is wash us clean. That's the holiness of God. Don't mistake that. That's even harder than the Old Testament said. And, and further, our Father in heaven wants us to tell the truth always. Always. The New Testament will restate that, that truth-telling is the way of the Christian. So use the text, but use it the way it's intended. Don't turn it to the left. Don't turn it to the right. Stay on the path. Make it your aim to conform to what the word says. Don't try to explain it away or reconfigure with what you want it to mean. Or what, and do your best to apply the word to your life right here, right now. Thirdly, always keep it on your lips. In other words, verse 8, talk about it. Reminisce. Read through Deuteronomy about where it talks about Deuteronomy 6. Where we talk about the law when we sit down, when we get up, we go for a walk. When we lie down, it's just part of our life. Ephesians says the same thing. You speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You just have the word in your conversation. And you know what? The word today, in common today in our society, is to not allow you to speak of the word of God or particularly of Jesus. We don't mind you using the word God, but we don't want you to use the word Jesus. I just wonder, I just encourage you to keep the conversation open. Ask questions that are open-ended in light of the news. I wonder what God thinks about refugees from Syria. I wonder what God says about just refugees in general. Ask that question at the lunch table. Ask the question, I wonder what God thinks about the care of the earth and the ongoing management of the natural resources. After all, the Lord created it. It was perfect in its original creations. What does he believe about it today? What does he want us to do today? How are we as Christ followers stewards of that? In other words, what would, what would Jesus say about the oil spill of the Valdez off the Alaskan coast? How would God the Father, who created the earth, how, how would he deal with that? What would he say about that? And so how should we? What does God think about children, babies, elderly? What does God think about the care of the people around me? So do your best to keep it on your lips and ask those questions. And you don't have to have all the answers. In fact, you ask those questions, you'll never have all the answers. But you know what it'll do? It'll stimulate great thinking, and it'll stimulate people to go back to the scriptures, yourself included. So always keep it on your lips. Obey the word. Don't turn to the left or right. Always keep it on your lips. Number four, meditate on it. Just think about it 
all the time. Literally, Hebrew word here for meditates that is the words, are the words mutter, to mutter. In other words, you're just talking about the word when you get up, when you go to bed, when you sleep. You hear the, the implications of the word, you're meditating on it. And then number five, you're careful to obey everything written in it. it, it I think it's interesting, you're careful. It's, this is appearing more than once in the text. You're careful to obey. You're careful to be very, very courageous. Don't stop at considering the word. Don't stop at thinking about it stage. Put it into practice. Be careful that you aren't just learning the word just to learn it. Learn it so you put it into motion. I'm reminded of this word picture in light of the psalm, which you know so well. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the way of the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. This is the person who's doing the right thing and he lives a certain way. Why? Because his delight is in the law of the Lord. He's thinking about the law of the Lord and he meditates on it day and night and that person's like a tree that's planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and his leaf does not wither. And Get this, whatever he does, it prospers. Sounds an awful lot like verse 8. Keep the book of the law always. Verse 8 of chapter 1, Joshua. That be careful to do everything in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. That's what success is. That's what you need to be courageous about. That's why I think it's so key, so important for you. Number one, get in a connection group. It doesn't matter what the group is. And that's why we like different kinds of groups for different kinds of people. Just get in a group where you can be honest, where you can pray and support each other. But that's also, it begs the the opportunity too to be involved in ministry because when you're involved through service it will help put your faith into motion and and, and that's why we have the ministry fair that's why we have uh, the opportunities for you to be involved it helps you put your faith in motion and and the accountability the encouragement will make all the difference and I think in the long run you're gonna be different people because of it so let me just encourage you uh, with just some I'm gonna uh, close with five ways you can get more out of the Bible. One is, just get a time and place when you, when you read the scriptures. And just have a time and a place. Now, that may not sound like a big deal, but if you have a time and a place, chances are you'll show up. You'll, you'll be more regular with it. Some of you are nighttime people. You read right before bed. That's good. Others are early morning. Some people do it over lunch in the car. Some people do it on the train. And you put it in the earbuds, and you hear God's word, and you read it. So you see it, you read it, you hear it through an MP3 player or whatever. And that's your habit. That's a good, get a time and a place. And when you do that, you keep your study tools together. In other words, you're not spending your time going to find stuff. It's always in the same spot. You're building the habit. Daniel did that. He prayed every day, opened the windows, always had a habit. These times, you could, you could set them like clockwork. This is the time for him to pray. So you, you get a time and a place. You get your study tools together, so you build the habit. And you make an effort to read systematically. I think, frankly, you could just, for instance, we, I mentioned Colossians. Colossians is only four chapters long. You can read it every day for a week. And at the end of the week, you're, God's going to impress upon your heart one or two verses. The next week, you're just going to meditate on those two verses and memorize them. And then the next week, you'll move on to Philippians or Ephesians and do the same thing. And God will let that word soak in you when you systematically read through. I think it's good to get the Old Testament narrative because that gives you great big picture stories. That's good. But you always want to be, and some of you do this. I, I know a lot of people, you, some of you read Old Testament in the morning, New Testament at night. And you always read a proverb of the day. Today is September what? 
13, right? So a lot of you are reading Proverbs 13 today, okay? Some of you have a psalm a day or a section of psalms, so you always read a piece of poetry, a piece of history, Old Testament history. Then you read something, uh, it, it's good for your own heart and good, it's easy to apply, and that'd be an epistle, something from Romans to Jude. And you just, you systematically do that. And then when you go to pray, you can pray back the word of God, what you just read. It's real natural. You don't have to wonder about what to pray. You just, you pray back that you do exactly what you just read. And you look for points of application so you don't stall out just learning the word, but you live the word. Okay? And I, I know some of you do that on a regular basis, and I applaud you for doing it. And why do you want to do that? Because you want to be courageous but about the right things. You don't want your life to get past you and wish you'd stood for something that really mattered. You have to know the truth and be in it, and it be in your head and in your heart and on your lips, and it's, it's in your conversations. You're swimming in it, so you stand well for it. You know what happens is this. Joshua took that admonition from the Lord, and then he told the people, we're going to cross the Jordan. Three days, get ready. We're going to cross the Jordan. We're going to go in and start taking cities, so get ready. And they began to pray, consecrate themselves. And you know what they said to him? This is the very issue. They, they responded to his act of courage. They said, we'll go with you, and we will listen, and we will follow, and we'll be loyal. And you know what will happen? They said, we'll stand with you. We'll pray with you. We'll, obedient, we'll be obedient to what you have to say. You know what? They learned their lesson well. They don't want to keep marching in the wilderness forever. They wanted to get into that promised land. And because he had that kind of courage, the people around him began to have that kind of courage. And guess what? They were valiant. They were successful because they adhered to what really mattered. They were courageous about the right things. Well, here's our closing verse. It comes to us from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. I'm going to read it aloud, and then we're going to read it aloud together in our closing prayer. So we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you, who, uh, in, which is indeed at work in you who believe. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. We thank God. Why? Because the word is in you, and it, it isn't human word. This is worth being courageous over. This is the word of the Lord, and so we take it seriously. Let's stand together, and let's say it together, and then we're going to pray. Let's say it together. Would you say it with me? And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 And God our Father in heaven, that is our prayer that we would be courageous people, but not for the things that don't really matter in life, that we would be courageous about the very things that matter most. And since we know the word of the Lord stands forever, we want to be there. May we be people of the word who take it to heart, who hear it regularly, who don't turn left or right, 
but rather meditate and find our joy in it, knowing that is the pathway to real success and a huge kind of prosperity. We want to be people of the word and courageously so. May that be the reality of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. The church says, amen.